time. Yeah, I've already experienced the long hug today. Right, Mike? Well, as we continue on here, we've been talking about the understanding of what it means to be in His image and recognizing that we are God's immature on this earth and how crucial that is to our daily lives to represent Him. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, He says that Jesus spoke, came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what we see is that Jesus is very adamant about the role of the believer in making a disciple, which means that we're on mission for God. Would you guys agree that the 12 apostles were on mission for God from the moment that they had committed their lives to follow Jesus? They didn't get it right every time, but they were on mission. They never lost sight of that. From that point forward, every disciple that was made after that went through the same experience. If you study church history, you'll see that those disciples of the disciples were on mission for God. Do you realize that many of them did a vocation? You didn't get paid to be a pastor back in the day. You weren't, we didn't have paid ministries initially. It wasn't a vocation, it was a calling. Somewhere along the line, we've lost a bit of that, but it was a calling. And so the purpose was is that we're to be on mission for God each and every day. Every moment of every day. Because you just never know when that opportunity will present itself for you to adamantly share the gospel. Intentionally to share the gospel. Not just hope something comes, but it, be intentional about it. And we got somebody who wants to share a little story. So come on up. Just don't drop the mic. No. Uh, good morning, all. Um, my story is of Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moved me to share Jesus' love with someone. And <clears throat> we're having uh, a lot of construction around where we live, and there was um, one particular concrete guy we always called him the concrete dude and he has he had no concept of what time of day it is okay he would be out sawing concrete at 10 o'clock at night um, there was one particular morning um, I'm laying in bed and it's it's quarter after two in the morning and I'm laying there, and I hear this thump, 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 thump. And I go, what in the world? And I hear a boom. And I go, oh, something's in my beehives. And I, I thought a hive had fallen over. And uh, so I got up and went downstairs. And across the street, it's all lit up. And there he is out there with his hammer. Boom, 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 boom. And I went, oh, my gosh. I said, I can't believe this. Well, I, then I knew what it was, so I was able to go back up and lay down. And I was just dozing off, and all of a sudden, beep, 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 boom, he fires up his bobcat, and he's out there moving dirt and gravel and, you know, until after 3 in the morning. He's out there working. So I texted the homeowner, and I said, hey, your concrete dude is out running his skid loader, and he couldn't believe it. But anyway, the next day he's out there, 
the concrete guy, and I'm leaving, and I pull up, and he's working on his truck, and I roll down the window, and he just turns around and goes, yeah, yeah, I know. He goes, it was me. And I go, oh, well, I just wanted to stop and let you know that I did not appreciate being woke up at that time in the morning. And he goes, well, I had to. I was in Wichita all day, and he just very brash and, you know, and so I just, I said, well, I just wanted to let you know I didn't appreciate it. And so I said, have a nice day, and I rolled up the window, and off I drove. So <clears throat> some time passes, and he's pouring concrete a few days later, and a storm's coming up, and he's out there, and he's stamping the concrete, and he didn't have any blankets with them to cover it with so I'm out in the yard and I went oh my gosh and I could see he didn't have anything so I just went to the barn and grabbed all my tarps and stuff and went over and I said hey here I'll help you cover it up there's a storm coming and he just kind of stopped and looked at me you know like oh okay you know and didn't thank me or anything at that time so we got it covered up and saved his concrete it did rain and as soon as we got it covered up, he took off, and he went to go get his tarps. And uh, so a little bit later, uh, he had his tarps on, and I went over and helped him fold up, you know, the tarps I had taken over. And he goes, hey, thank you. And I said, oh, you're welcome, you know. And I, I just grabbed up my tarps and was walking back to the house, and <clears throat> all of a sudden it just it hit me. I have to go pray for this guy. So I dropped the tarps, turned around, and went back. <clears throat> so I go up, and I'm standing there, and then the homeowner comes out, and he goes, what's going on? I said, hey, Gary, I said, would you like to join me in prayer for, and I didn't even know his name until then. His name's Kevin. And uh, Gary goes, sure. So I prayed over Kevin for Jesus' love, his heart for Jesus, his prosperity and what he does. And all three of us just stood there and cried. It was amazing. <clears throat> so um, we were there for quite a little bit of time and then I left and went back up and and Gary later thanked me for coming over and doing that. And I said, well, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And it was Jesus' love. And Gary goes, well, he's going to church with me. And I went, you're kidding. He goes, no. And he had went one other time, but as far as I know, he's there this morning sitting in church with Gary. And uh, after that happened... He would never even make eye contact with us or anything. And now he stops whatever he's doing. Smiles and waves and everything. So listen to that little silent voice and that poke on the back of your head. Um, it only takes a couple of minutes to go over and talk to someone and, and pray with them. And uh, I truly believe that it has made a difference in his life. And I just hope he follows that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, Jesus loves the people you don't. I was thinking as you're telling this story that if this guy was up by my house and woke my wife up at 2 a.m., he's going to meet Jesus. 
because she don't like to be woken up anytime. But that's not complicated, right? It's not hard. We just have to do it, and we don't think about it. That's That's really what I was talking about last week, is that we're not being intentional with those opportunities. We don't know the man's heart. We know his actions. We don't know what's going on in his life. We don't know where he's at. But what if we're just available to the Holy Spirit? Talk about that little tap in the back of your head. Sometimes it's a smack upside the back of the head. You know, sometimes that's what we need. It's to be a willing vessel. You see, the apostles were all willing vessels. Every one of them. They willingly all died for this message. You and I willingly wake up on a Sunday to come to church. They're not the same thing. We don't understand. I was telling Jim this this morning. I, I saw something just this week a friend of mine had put up. It was this video of this minister that was, had gone over to China. Um, as you know, there's no Christianity in China, right? It's, it's forbidden. Okay? If you have a Bible, if you have a piece of paper with a written verse on it, okay, that is jailable, like beating. Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's called contraband. And so he was over there. I don't know why or how. I don't remember the details. But he'd held this meeting in somewhat of a hotel area and there were people who had traveled 13 hours to get to this so somehow they were tied together and it's not like they had billboards or anything like that there were 22 people that that came some of them traveled 13 hours because they wanted to hear what this man had to say about God and so they would go up the elevator at different times to not draw attention to themselves and as he's ministering they're just soaking in everything that he is saying you know because here's this this man of God who's here and they don't get that kind of stuff. And as they were talking and stuff, they were telling him that they, um, you know, face jail time just coming together like this. And he's like, so what happens if we get caught? And he says, well, you, uh, you'll be deported within 24 hours and we spend three years in prison. And he said, well, how many of you guys have spent time in prison as a result of your faith? 18 of the 22 three years and they talked about like he would say open up to this verse they didn't necessarily open up because they don't have bibles but they knew the verse they memorized it you know why they memorized it because when they were in jail they would have them written down and they would get to a person and you'd memorize it as fast as you could and then destroy it so to not get caught with contraband and the guy was sitting there and he's just so blown away by this and the people you know were asking they were telling him is like man you can go to church anytime you can gather together and pray and read your bible and 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 have worship and you can do that anytime you want and they looked at him and said would you please pray that we can become like you so that we can just gather together and just relax in the time of the lord and he's like i will not pray that prayer will you please pray that we will become like you Think about that. We could be doing anything, but we choose to come here. But we're not on mission for God. We're not doing the command of God. And so we've got to get this value system fixed. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So they were given power, right? 
to go and do the works of the Lord. Do you realize that the blessing of the Lord is not necessarily a new job, a new house, a new car, a new boat? Well, that, but that's what we've made it. We've turned it into a monetary system that if we are advancing monetarily in one way or another, surely the hand of the Lord is upon us. But what if that's a distraction? I'm not going to say it's not the hand of the Lord. He will bless you. He will take care of those who are faithful to Him. I mean, you look at the, the covenant He had with Israel. You'll be blessed, you'll be cursed, right? There is the blessing of the Lord. But there's also this aspect of what that stuff means to you and how it can distract you. And what I want to show you guys today is the spiritual warfare aspect. I want you to begin to think about this. I want to open your eyes a bit to things that perhaps you knew but didn't recognize. Maybe you didn't know. You see, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you know. Now, why did he do the miracles, wonders, and signs? Well, we know at another place, in Acts chapter 10, he came to undo, destroy the works of the devil. Is that a battle? Of course it is. Is sickness from God or from the enemy? Miracles, wonders, and signs. He cast out demons. He taught the word. He healed the sick. That's what he did. He was on mission for God, representing God on this earth. We are to follow his example. What drew attention to him is what drew attention to his disciples is what will draw attention to us representing Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witness uh, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Be my witnesser. You will be the one representing me. So this idea is not a new one. But why did they need the power? Why did he say, wait? Is it so that we can gather together and have goosebumps, have words of wisdom and knowledge, have the laying of hands on people, to have people fall down in the aisle? Is that why he said, listen, if you'll just sit around and I'll wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, someday there will be televangelists and they'll take their suit coats and they'll whack people and knock them over. That's the Holy Ghost. No! That is not the purpose. That's what we've turned it into. We've turned the power of the Holy Spirit into some sort of a sideshow. But the power of the Holy Spirit was to do what? Manifest the kingdom of God. That's what it was. When Jesus told them to go, I want you to go. Go into this town. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to them. That's what he was doing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why did they need it? Well, here's a part of it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, why did he say to put on the armor of God? Because there's an attack coming. When's the attack coming? I don't know. Do you know? Now, I'm no expert in war. But I would assume that they don't send out mailers and say, Hey, just so you know, next Tuesday at 3 p.m., we're going to send in fighter planes. We just wanted you to be aware, okay, 
just want to be fair here. I don't think that's how it works. Okay? Now, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But the reason to put on the armor is because the attacks are going to come. When will they come? Are they coming right now? Are some of us in a battle at this moment? Do we recognize that we're in a battle at this moment? It's a question. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness of the gentleness of Christ, whose presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you, but I beg you that when I am present I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, how do we walk? Not according to the flesh. How do we war? Not according to the flesh. You see, the difference between us and, say, somebody in China, okay, is that when somebody comes against us here, we have rights to stand on. Do we need God to invoke our constitutional rights? Not necessarily. Okay? When, when we're in a bad spot financially, what can you and I do? Go get a job. Go get a part-time job. Go get another job. Get a better job. Sell something. What can they do when they have nothing and there aren't jobs? You're hand to mouth. What do you do in a country where you make a dollar a day? You get on your knees and pray. We do things carnally according to the flesh. They do things spiritually according to the word. Do you see the difference? You see everything we do. We read this. We believe this. We know this. We just don't do it. Because though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. But the church today in, in most first world countries is though we walk in the flesh we also war according to it because I'll battle you I was discussing something with a pastor just the other, just this last week who's gone through a battle he had a coup rise up in his church try to come against him and tell him all the things you know because the Holy Spirit never speaks to the pastor only to the group of people who are disgruntled and they are the ones that definitely have the corner on the market on how things should be done and of course, just like anybody else, when people come against you, what's your first inclination? Huh, I'll show you. And I just, I, I just told I said, I want you to just think about this. I want you to pray about this. I said, what if it's not them in control? What if this is an attack of the enemy? I said, what if you are trying to handle this carnally when you need to be handling it spiritually? And he just stopped for a moment, and he just looked at me, and you could just see like this weight lift off of him. He's like, I never even thought about that. And you know what the problem is? Why not? We don't either. Right? We're going into a, a political season. There'll be a lot of flesh being thrown around. But what if we don't battle that way? Think about it. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit the armor, the recognition that there's a spiritual war going on is part of the disciple's process. It's part of walking in a world that we are not a part of because we're bringing the kingdom of God into to take over the kingdom of darkness. You see, if the battle's already won, you don't need the armor. Has Jesus got the victory? Yes. Has it fully been consummated yet? No. No. 
has all authority been given to him and thus because of that to us yes are there still those kind of fighting for their lives yes so why do we pretend that this isn't happening because the battle didn't end we don't get to stop we're not going to the place of rest yet you think about it the israelites were told to go into the promised land what would they find there rest it's all built houses built wells dug vineyards planted what do you have to do drive out the inhabitants i have given it to you so was the authority given to them to walk into the promised land and drive them out absolutely whose hand was upon them god's hand was upon them had they seen god's power and manifestation prior to this absolutely what did they do holy cow those are some big guys we can't do this they wore according to the flesh we did the same thing you guys with me so far you see what it seems that so much of the church has not realized that we are in a constant battle that we are in a spiritual battle but here's the thing we're unaware of it the reason we're unaware of it at least one reason is we are so distracted by shiny things okay so if your brain works like mine remember squirrels with knives shiny things are your friend there's a reason I'm in this church most of the time by myself most of the week I'm in my office by myself I keep my door shut when I'm in this building in my office by myself do you know why there's still shiny things through that doorway I get easily distracted we begin to chase rabbits and our entire lives from the moment we're children is that we are told to chase our dreams to chase after those things which seemingly will make us happy promotions houses cars boats all of that to chase after them what makes somebody successful well it entirely depends on the metrics that you're using right because how do we determine a successful business versus an unsuccessful business somebody who's doing a million dollars a year in revenue may feel like they are successful but compare that to uh, warren buffett which is successful depends on the metrics you're using you see that's just it we're chasing a goal but we have nothing to base it on but then it says in scripture seek first the kingdom of god then all these things will be added to you so then we begin to look it's like okay what should i be doing you see the disciples when they were approached by jesus he said hey leave the nets follow me i'll make you fishers of men they didn't say but jesus do you know how much i spent on these nets you know what that boat cost me can i at least trade it in and get a shiny new chariot or something what do they do okay what do we do uh i don't know it's kind of like the old meat loaf. i'd do anything for love but won't do that now but let's be honest how many sermons have you seen meatloaf get working i mean just just be honest right that's the squirrel things right yeah okay but yeah i know it's now everybody's gonna be thinking about that song all day long right i'm sorry lord forgive me okay but moving right along you see when the rich man came to jesus said what must i do to inherit the kingdom of god he said sell everything that you have why were there other rich people that came to christ yeah did they stay rich afterwards yeah what was unique there he didn't want to give it up jesus knew what was holding him back and so the man left he's like i don't want to do that 
And what do we do? It's all right, brother. You've been blessed by the Lord. What did Jesus do? Adios, muchacho. Pretty sure that's what he said. It's in the message Bible. You see, we are in a battle unaware. We don't even recognize the things that are coming against us. We're, we've got financial things, right? We've got, we've got things coming against us socially. We've got family members that are trying to pull us away from God. Do you realize that church today is an option? 70 years ago, it was mandated. Today, baseball takes precedence in the summer. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, when Isaac was wrestling a few years ago, um, and he was terrible, just so you know, but when he was wrestling a few years ago, he got to go to one tournament out of about the dozen that they had. You know why? Every one of them was on a Sunday morning. You know what we won't do? We won't compromise. That's not because I'm a pastor. It has nothing to do with that. I just refuse. We're not going to say, oh yeah, sports are greater than God. That's the message we're sending. I mean, let's just be honest, church. Whether we realize we're doing it or not, the message we are sending that there are things that are more important than the church to gather together. That's not right. What message did the church send to the world during COVID? We don't believe this Bible we've been preaching. That's the message we sent. It was heard loud and clear. So it's time to change that. You see, you and I are in a battle unaware. And I want to show you an example of this in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 5. Some of you guys are familiar with this. I brought it up last week, but I actually want to show it to you so that you understand because there's something that's happening here that we often miss. So in Daniel chapter 5, they're all in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's out. Belshazzar the king, verse 1, made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So understand, these vessels were in the temple. They were consecrated to God to be used in the service of the temple, which was their form of worship, correct? Okay. They decided, this king said, hey, bring those to us because we're going to drink out of them. That sounds like a good idea or a bad idea. Sounds like a bad idea to me. Verse 3, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, and watch what they did. They praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. It wasn't that they took them and drank from them. They gave glory to the false gods for elements used to bring glory to the only God. Now let's go on. Verse 5, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Now, I want to show you something here that I found researching this several years ago. When it talks about his hips were loosened, we think that his knees and all that were wobbly. It literally is a reference to his bowels let go. He pooed himself. So would you. So the king cried out. So we got meatloaf and pooping pants. That's two. We'll see what number three is. I don't even know where this is going. Verse seven. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayer. 
the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Now, what does holy mean? Set apart, right? So this God is unique. And in this man is the spirit of this God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, small g, Elohim, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him the chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. How did she know that? Because of Daniel's precedent. What had happened in the past was recognized by her. Now, how did Belshazzar not know that? He probably did. But at this point, he wasn't focused on anything but doing what? Pleasing the flesh. He's throwing a, a massive party. They are living it up. The reason they're living it up, they are in the greatest city of the greatest nation in the world at that point. There was nothing and nobody who could come against them and they knew it babylon the city was known as the most fortified city in the world it had a double wall system it believed to be impregnable nobody could get in it so when we're in this place ain't nothing can get to us so they're just living life what they don't realize there's actually battles taking place all around them and there are things that are happening and whether he knew it exactly or not they didn't care because they were in the place where they could not be touched now let's look at verse 13 then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke to Daniel. Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, uh, of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, who have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now stop for a moment. Now what did he just say that is so powerful that is so contrary to what we see today in modern church America? Okay? Let your gifts be for yourself. See, the king recognized the gift that was in him. It was the spirit of the living God. He gave him this ability to interpret dreams and all of the other things that go with it. He said, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another, but I will do this for you. Why did he say that? I'm not selling the power of God. It's contrary to what we see today. Do you realize that there are ministers that will charge people to pray? people do you realize that there are deliverance ministers you know what that is the casting out of demons and they have a fee there was a guy several years ago that would do a deliverance via skype for 295 dollars okay 
I don't know if you can do that via Skype, but I also don't know if it's worth 300 bucks. So, let's keep moving. O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of that majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Now stop for a moment. All the authority had been given to Nebuchadnezzar, says by God, and he did with it what he wanted. So he had the ability to let people live, make people die. It was his choice. But when his heart was lifted in pride, suddenly God said, all right, that's enough. And so they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he cho- chooses. Now, you can go back and read other parts of Daniel if you want to read that entire story, but essentially, he went crazy, was out in the wild, and stayed there for several years until his heart was repentant. Verse 22, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. So it wasn't out of ignorance. He knew exactly what had happened to his father. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought you the vessel of his house before you and you and your lords your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold bronze and iron wood and stone which we uh, which do not see or hear or know and the god who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified now i'm going to stop here for a second because it's interesting to me that daniel knows exactly what had gone on there but daniel wasn't there when it was going on how did he know? It is possible that somebody told him exactly, this is what we were doing, this is what we did, then this hand appears and it messed up my wall and made the guy mess himself. Possible. But what if it was a revelation of the Holy Spirit? You have praised the gods of silver and bronze and the God who holds your breath in his hand owns all your ways you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekla, parison. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. So now he lays out. Here's what's going to happen. As a result of your hard heart and what you've done, judgment is coming upon you. You will die and your kingdom will be divided to the Medes and the Persians. Okay? Now look at verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So we see the execution of that. That night, God's execution was laid out. This is what's going to happen. Here's your judgment. When did it happen? That night. So what happened? It doesn't tell us, right? We have no knowledge of what took place. Did he have a heart attack? Did he die from projectile diarrhea? We don't know, right? We can speculate, but there are other writings. There's a man named Herodotus, who was a a Greek historian in the 4th century B.C., and he actually wrote about 
this entire event that took place. I'm going to read this to you. Cyrus, on his way to Babylon, came to the banks of, of the Gindis, a stream which, rising in the uh, Manetian mountains, runs through the country of Dardanians and empties itself in the river Tigris. The Tigris, after receiving the Gindis, flows on by the city of Opus and discharges waters into the Erytherian Sea. When Cyrus reached this stream, which could only be passed in boats, one of the sacred white horses accompanying his march, full of spirit and high metal, walked into the water and tried to cross by himself, but the current seized him, swept him along with it, and drowned him in his depth. Cyrus, enraged at the insolence of the river, threatened so to break his strength that in future even women should cross it easily without wetting their knees. According, accordingly, he put off for a time his attack on Babylon, and dividing his army into two parts, he marked out by ropes 180 trenches on each side of the Gindis, leading off from in, in in all directions, and setting his army to dig, some on the side of the river, some on the other. He accomplished his threat by, uh, by the aid of so great a number of hands, but not without losing thereby the whole summer season. So he's making this plan, but what is he out doing? He's attacking Babylon. Why? Well, he's attacking everywhere. He's on mission. He's taking over land after land. Let's move on. Having, however, this weak, uh, wreaked this vengeance on the Gindis by dispersing it through 360 channels, Cyrus, with the first approach of the ensuing spring, marched forward against Babylon. The Babylonians encamped without their walls awaited his coming. Now, that means they were not inside the walls of the city. They encamped outside of the walls of the city, waiting on him to get there. They knew he was coming. A battle was fought at a short distance from the city in which the Babylonians were defeated by the Persian king, whereupon they withdrew within their defenses, meaning they went back into the wall. They could not battle him out there and win. They went back inside their safe space. Here they shut themselves up and made light of his siege, having laid in a store of provisions for many years in preparation against this attack. For when they saw Cyrus conquering nation after nation, they were convinced that he would never stop and that their turn would come at last. Now understand this for a moment. So they were prepared. They saw what Cyrus was out doing. The time was going to come when he would come against Babylon, but he cannot get through these walls. Nobody can get through these walls. So what they did is they stored up enough provisions to feed and take care of all the people and all the animals for several years. Because they figure if nothing else, we can wait him out. He'll eventually give up and move on. So they were prepared for the attack, or so they thought. Let's go on. Cyrus was now reduced to great perplexity. As time went on, and he made no progress against the place. He cannot get through the walls. In this distress, either someone made the suggestion to him, or he bethought himself of a plan which he proceeded to put in execution. He placed a portion of his army at the point where the river enters the city, and another body at the back of the place where it issues forth in orders, with orders to march into the town by the bed of the stream as soon as the water became shallow enough. He then himself drew off with the unwarlike portion of his host and made for the place where Nitocris uh, dug the basin for the river where he did exactly what she had done formerly, he turned the Euphrates by a canal into the basin, which was then a marsh on which the river sank to such an extent that the natural bed of the stream became fordable. Now I want to show you the map here of the city. This is the city of Babylon. 
there were two wall systems all the way around and the Euphrates River came through it. Now, they would worship by this Euphrates River. There were things that they would do there. But of course, having a water supply was crucial. The Euphrates was not shallow. It was too deep. There was no way a person could just swim into it. But he had already figured out a plan to get past something else before. So, instead of trying to go through the walls, what did it just say they were going to do? They were going to try to dig canals and lower the river so that it would be about the depth of a man's thigh and they could walk through it. They had already done this once. What are the Babylonians doing at this moment? They're inside. We're good. Nothing can get me. Hey, let's have a party. Hey, you remember all that stuff that my dad brought from uh, Jerusalem? Bring that in here. Let's drink out of that. This is what's going on right now. Let's go on. Hereupon, the Persians who had been left for the purpose at Babylon by the riverside entered the stream, which had now sunk so as to reach about midway up a man's thigh, and thus got into the town. Had the Babylonians been apprised of what Cyrus was about, or had they noticed their danger, they would have never have allowed the Persian to enter the city, but would have destroyed them utterly, for they would have made uh, fast all the street gates which gave access to the river and mounting upon the walls along both sides of the stream would so have caught the enemy as it were in a trap why is that well there's only kind of one way in and one way out at this point get everybody up around as they come in pick them off right but they weren't prepared they didn't think anybody could get in but as it was the persians came upon them by surprise and so took the city Owing to, the, that, owing to the, the vast size of the place, the inhabitants of the central parts, as the rev, residents of Babylon declare, long after the outer portion of the town were taken, knew nothing of what had chanced, but as they were engaged in a festival, wonder what festival they were engaged in, continued dancing and reveling until they learned about the capture. Such then were the circumstances of the first taking of Babylon. So they were just living up life and the city was taken over, and they didn't even realize it until it was too late. Now, why was that the case? Well, if they had been anything like his predecessors, they were always on guard and knew that nothing was guaranteed. They would have never let their guard down, but they did. We got this. Nobody can get through this wall. I'm good. Nothing can touch me. Does that sound a little familiar think about the way believers are today as you look at first peter chapter 5 it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour what did they do they hung out outside the wall so they could find a way to get in you see believers today are subject to attacks from the enemy We've been given every tool necessary to overcome that. But we have to recognize that they're coming. And they're coming often. But because in America and other first world nations, we've got it so good, we don't have our antennas. We're not on mission for God, therefore nothing's coming against us. There's no attack. The only time we consider something attack is if something bad happens to us then that must be the devil. And if something good happens to us, then that must be God. I'm going to show you guys in the weeks to come that that's not true. You see, what you and I don't recognize 
is that there is demonic attacks going on all around us, individually, but also in our culture. There's occult practices that are happening in things that we once considered very minor, just easy, don't have to worry about. Stuff your kids listen to, stuff your kids watch. Maybe you do too. There's things that are happening behind the scene. When you hear about some of the disgusting things that take place in this world, you're like, oh man, there's no way. No way that's happening. You guys went and saw the movie Sound of Freedom. Makes you think, doesn't it? Why is that? Man, nobody can be that deranged, can they? Yeah. Happening all around us. You see, the devil, your adversary, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How can you overcome that? A, knowing what he's up to, and B, I need to be prepared. Look at 1 Timothy 4. I read this last week, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I'm going to stop there. Now, in order to give heed to something, what have you done? You've submitted to it. You've allowed that attack to come in. Well, where is it coming from? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God had created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You see, the only way that happens is if you let it because you gave heed to it. You guys see this? See, the thing is, is if we wake up and realize, man, we got a job to do. We're on mission for God. The enemy is attacking all the time. We don't want to be like Babylon. We don't want to wake up one day and be like, oh man, it's too late. It's already here. What if they had just thought for a moment, like, you know what? Somebody could get in this way. We need to keep people on guard there all the time. We will leave zero opportunity for the enemy to get in. That story might end differently, but it didn't. That's you and I. So get ready, church. You guys are going to see some stuff here in the next couple of weeks that might blow your mind away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that we can count on it. We thank you that there is nothing the enemy can throw at us that we cannot overcome. But Lord, I thank you that you are opening our eyes to the truth of your word and what's going on. The truth of what's happening in this world. The truth of the darkness that is in control right now. And so Lord, I pray that we will have discernment. That we will be sharp, ready, prepared, equipped do what you call us to do. Lord, be glorified in every aspect of our lives. In your mighty name. Amen. God bless y'all. Have a great week. See you soon.